Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Holy Spirit, we ask you to bless the teaching of your word because our hearts are fundamentally hard and resistant to truth. If you don't break through and give us soft hearts right now, we ask for this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, Amen. If you're a regular, today's sermon is going to be a little bit different um, than something that you've seen from me the last year and a half, in that we normally sit and park in one text and and deep dive. Today is going to be a little bit different, uh, but if you want to open your Bible there at home and turn uh, anywhere, I recommend 2 Corinthians 11. Go to 2 Corinthians 11. It'll be a while before we get there, but if you'd like to read along, 2 Corinthians 11. The series, if, you're, if you've been with us, um, I'll catch you up to speed if you've not been, it's called The Heart Beneath Money, part five of seven, where we look at Jesus' words and realize over and over again, financial issues are always, always, always an issue of the heart. It's not actually... I mean, very rarely is it a cash flow issue. If I don't know how to budget, I can reach out to somebody who can help me learn how to budget. But when Jesus is asked questions about money, he always goes to the human heart. And um, today we're going to talk about a concept that seems barbaric to the 21st century Western mind, but which is a really an active part of really humanity. And it's the concept of sacrifice. Sacrifice. Just me saying the word, some of you just right now thought Joe versus the volcano. Like, throw, throw a virgin into the volcano so that the gods won't be angry. You think of an ancient, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, oh, that's how human beings used to think. They used to think that gods were out there, used to think that gods were angry, and we have to give them something. We have to sacrifice food, or like the Aztecs, human sacrifice, uh, Molech accepted human sacrifice at one of the gods of Canaan when Israel moved in there. Um, there are all kinds of images we might have in our mind. And I think the danger, the danger is that in the 21st century, we think, one, we think we're really smart. We think that, C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. We think everybody before us was an idiot. We're astounded that humanity built the pyramids 4,000 years ago. We're blown away because we're just so convinced that 4,000 years back, people were, were total imbeciles when, in fact, there's no evidence at all in archaeology that people were idiots. They were humans, just like we're humans. Perhaps if somebody could send a little email back to 4,000 BC and show them World War II, they would go, wow, those 20th century people are total idiots. Why on earth would they have you know, 20-some-odd, 30-some-odd countries killing each other? That's terrible. Um, but we tend to take this, uh, this image of sacrifice. We have no 21st century image for it because, are you ready? We don't think we sacrifice. If you're at home and I keep looking this way, I've got three human beings to look at here. I've got two right there. And then there's the invisible man right there giving me amens and hallelujahs. So we do not in 2020, Christian, non-Christian, pagan, atheist, Hindu, like actually Hindus are ahead of the curve on this one. We do not think we sacrifice, but we do. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Maybe this has been you, or maybe you've seen it from a, a different family. 
Have you ever seen somebody's entire family schedule built around Little League? I know I have. Basketball, volleyball, this, that, and the other. Um, and, and I don't say this, I don't want anybody to feel judged when I say this. I just want to call a spade a spade. When you're in pastoral ministry, you're constantly trying to call people who call themselves Christians, you're trying to call them toward greater and greater steps of obedience, right? And so really basic things, like on Sunday morning, we gather together as a family blood-bought. The only thing that makes us one family is the blood of Jesus forgiving all of us. And so other than that blood, it's like, how do these people hang out? How are they friends? How are they unified? When you're calling people to greater steps of obedience and a family calls themselves Christian and they can't show up on a Sunday because Johnny has a game, I need you to understand, Jesus is not going to send you to hell because Johnny had a game. And the pastors of this church are not going to say to hell with you because Johnny had a game. But our hearts will break at what priorities you're teaching to your children while calling yourself a Christian. If you do not think Jesus Christ raised himself from death, if you think the Bible was tampered with and it's just a few nice ideas mixed up with some convoluted religion, then you go to Johnny's game all you want. Sign up for all the Sunday activities you want. Never join a disciple group. Don't give financially. Don't go on a mission. I don't want any of those signs of obedience from you. In fact, God does not want any of those things from you. Until and unless you believe that Jesus Christ was the God-man who purchased your freedom on his cross. When you believe he is the Messiah and he is now this should be the center of your existence, if you believe that with all of who you are, you can find a different baseball league for your kid. And in fact, you will, because your priorities have changed. Right now, you're making a sacrifice to the God of, I feel like a good parent. It's not the God of baseball. It's the God of, I'm a good parent. My kid's active. My kid's involved. My kid's getting exercise. He's not sitting on the couch playing PlayStation. See, I'm a good parent. That's the God you're sacrificing to. What about the 2020 Camaro? A bunch of you at home probably just laughed because you're not a car person. But if you're a car person, what is the sacrifice that's required to get a 2020 Camaro? It, well, it's, it's easy. It's $920 a month. Just a few easy payments, right? I'm probably exaggerating. $650 car payment. <coughs> that's a sacrifice. I, I keep giving something to this deity, believing that it's going to give me something back. The Camaro gives me happiness. I feel like a man. I feel like a success. I've succeeded in the business world. Whatever it was I had to do to get this thing, even if it's a total lie, because if you use debt to finance the thing, that's maybe not an, uh, a symbol that you're a success. It's just a symbol that you're in debt. But you really wanted it. And, and let's be honest, something that pretty, it makes promises. It says, you're going to look so cool in this thing. The ladies are going to love you in this thing. Whatever it says to your heart, don't think you can have it without sacrificing something else. Or what about going to see the grandkids? You can go to see the grandkids all the time. In fact, I want you to go see. Emily and I, one of our financial goals for when we reach a certain age, we want to be financially able to get on a plane because God knows you never know where your children are going to end up. When they start getting married and having kids and doing their thing, they're all over the country or maybe all over the world. We can't really control these things. Um, but you, you've made it. You're grandma now or your grandpa now and you want to go see your kids and you're flying Delta because you put in 30 years of flying Southwest. You struggled. 
and you had no room for your knees, even though you're six four and no one cares that you're six foot. Sorry, that, that was a little too personal. That you put in all these years of flying cheap and now you're flying Delta. Yay! Uh, here's the deal. Don't tell me that saying yes to going and flying to see somebody, don't say that that's not saying no to something else. Every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to other things. You know, we could buy this house, but if we live a little more modestly, we can fly to go see the kids more, right? That's a choice. If we go on fewer vacations, we could fly and go see the kids more. You gave up something to go see the kids more. And by the way, it's great to go see the kids and grandkids. That's a wonderful thing. Just don't act like you didn't sacrifice something to do it. You gave up something to do it. Let's just call it what it is. What about staying at work way too late? Nobody knows anything about this now because we all have to stay at home. But under normal circumstances, and again, ladies, I apologize because I just I don't understand. I'm not going to understand the feminine heart as well as the masculine. Guys in particular, we make sacrifices. When we spend these long hours working, we sacrifice a healthy, vibrant relationship with our kids. We'll sacrifice a vibrant relationship with our wife. We'll sacrifice our physical health, our psychological health. We'll make sacrifices all day long in the name of what? Sometimes the job is, it is a, uh, I, I'm a slave to fear. I believe I won't have enough money. Sometimes I'm a slave to the approval of my boss because that's what's going to get me the next leg up the ladder. Sometimes I'm a, a slave to my daddy issues or I don't feel like I'm a success unless I earn a certain dollar amount. And by the way, work is a good thing. Work is a good thing. But let's not pretend that we can't turn it into something where we're constantly making sacrifices, perhaps that are absolutely wrong to make. To earn a bunch of money and our kids hate us 25 years later. And you go, wow, that's a sacrifice that I regret making. So here is the first and only point of today's sermon. This is it. Sacrificing things for the sake of Jesus is normal Christian behavior. That's it. That's all I have for you. But I have to tell all of these stories and all these examples that I lined up because you don't believe this. There are parts of my heart that don't believe this, so I'm preaching it to myself. If you are a part of the Western industrialized world right now, you think that your whole world has come falling down because you can't find toilet paper. And we need some perspective from the scriptures and from church history. We need some perspective. In our world, where everything is given, I, I can literally go on my phone and under normal circumstances, Amazon will drop off certain things on my doorstep within an hour or two. Sacrifice? What's that? Amazon seems to keep making sacrifices to me. I must be a god. It keeps bringing me things. By the way, if you're a member of ARCF listening to this, our second core value is to grow in Christian maturity. And let me say as an aside for this, this point, this single point for today, I don't know that you'll ever grow in Christian maturity until you accept this. I don't think it's even possible because Christian maturity is more and more surrender to Christ as Lord over us. If you don't give him anything, you just want what he has to offer. 
Like, that's an abusive relationship at best. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start from the very beginning. We're not going to turn to each of these. These are going to be relatively quick. I'm trying to establish for us that sacrifice is very, very, very normal. Not just in human history, but in the history of interacting with Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And then when Yahweh's second person of the Trinity, Jesus, takes on flesh and dies for us, that sacrifice, we'll get to that, I'm preaching ahead of myself, that sacrifice still continues even to this day. Really, it'll be an eternity. Uh, but again, I'm ahead of myself. So, Genesis 4, Abel kills an animal and gives it to God, and God accepts it and, says, and is pleased by it. This is before Mosaic Law is given. So, that's very interesting. When you study Genesis 4, because the Genesis 4, 3 and 4 doesn't say what God told Abel and Cain. We, we don't know. We don't know, but, but what we know is God, God Abel killed an, an innocent animal and gave it to God, and God was pleased by it. Later on, we're going to see how clearly that God was teaching that something innocent will die because of the repercussions of our sin. Sin is that violent and horrific uh, and that death is to teach us about sin so that we will hate it and not love it and be a slave to it. It's actually for our blessing and for our benefit. In Genesis 8, Noah sacrifices an animal. Abram does it in Genesis 15 before his name's changed to Abraham. In ex throughout Exodus, and the law that God gives to Moses, and then it's specifically mentioned in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, Moses, uh, through the priesthood of Aaron, the animal sacrifices that a lot of people think of today when they read a little bit of the Bible or learn about uh, the Old Testament, Judaism, etc. They think this was all established in the book of Exodus and uh, quite a bit in Leviticus as well. Lots of animals dying and every one of them not dying because of something they had done. Every one of them dying because of human rebellion against God. Every one of them. Fast forward quite a bit, and in 2 Samuel 24, at the end of David's life, he had done something very evil. He had counted the fighting men of Israel, which God had forbidden. Uh, counting was a statement of a lack of faith. God wanted uh, the kings of Israel to depend on him to provide victory in the battlefield, not carefully counting what the size of their military was the way that everybody else did. No, you're going to trust me. And counting also indicated ownership. And so he had told the kings of Israel to never count. God owned Israel. And David counted. And God sent a plague uh, throughout the people. And uh, David knew that he had sinned and he repents. And he comes to this place. I'm, I'm, I'm radically abridging this story, but he's going to take these animals and kill them and sacrifice them, but they're owned by somebody else and the wood and this, that, and the other. And the guy, being a devout Jew, says, my lord, the king, take them, they're yours. Sacrif here, here's the wood for the offer, here are the animals, sacrifice them to the lord, they're yours. And David says something very important. I will not give to the lord that which cost me nothing. And he insists on paying him the full price for I believe oxen and the wood that was used to burn the oxen after they were killed. I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. 
I wonder anymore. I think we struggle with this, even those of us who call ourselves Christians. Maybe we grew up in church and the bucket went by and grandma pulled a quarter out of her purse and gave it to us. By the way, grandmas, I love you. You're not doing anything wrong. Grandma is coming from a totally innocent, pure heart trying to teach a behavior. But what our wicked heart does with that is, oh man, I love giving away grandma's money. Every 18-year-old voter this November knows how to give away somebody else's money. Are you kidding me? That's easy. That's what my wicked heart did with grandma's good gesture. But the minute it comes, oh, this is my allowance, or this is something I, I mowed the lawn to get this money, to give a portion of that to God, now it's a totally different ballgame, isn't it? And it reveals that if it involves sacrifice, I'm just not interested. You see, I think I'm God. So the sacrifices should be flowing this way. That, that's actually what the human heart fundamentally believes. Or Daniel, in the book named by him, Daniel chapter 6, does he sacrifice something? Oh, yeah. A pagan government says, when the instrument blows, you're going to bow down and worship this image of the king. Daniel says, nope. And he gets thrown into a pit full of hungry lions. If you've heard the story before, you know that God miraculously saves Daniel. The, the lions miraculously do not eat him. That's amazing. It's miraculous, right? It, it was supernatural, above nature. Hungry lions should not sit there and not eat. But let me ask you an important question. Did Daniel still make a sacrifice? Did he give Yahweh something, even though his life was not demanded of him that day? I think the answer is yes. You see, Daniel did not know the future. Daniel did not know that God was going to miraculously intervene. Daniel gave his life. It simply was not required of him that day. Okay? Abraham gave his son, but his son simply was not required of him that day. He still gave. All right? Daniel never thought that following Yahweh was this painless thing. No, he, he absolutely believed that Yahweh owned all of him and he would give his life at any time. Let's talk about Jesus. Did Jesus sacrifice anything for Yahweh? Okay? This is really critical. And I know I'm, it's going to sound like I'm belaboring the point, having one sermon point for all of today. But I, I, when things are about hardness of heart, I just the hammer has to keep falling over and over again until we get through our, our thick hearts. Our leader, if you call yourself a Christian, our leader sacrificed more than anybody and we think we're going to follow him, but it's not going to cost us anything. That's so silly. If your rabbi behaves in a certain way, the disciple is going to behave in the exact same way. Jesus, with his own words, said, look, if this is how they speak of the Son of Man, how are they going to treat you? It's not going to go well. Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 3 about Jesus' sacrifice. This is written about 55 A.D., but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. This is Romans 3.21. Be made right with God 
without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses. So Moses said long ago there's going to be a way to be reconciled to God without being obedient to every command of God, which is good because anybody here ever kept all the commands of God? I can't see you at home. I hope your hand's not up, right? Nobody's morally perfect. So it's a good thing he made a new way to be made right with God, not by keeping all the rules. Ready? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true of everyone who believes, no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, moral perfection. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. I mean, he literally looks at the Christian and he, it looks as if we're morally perfect because he has chosen to see his son, Jesus, when he looks at the Christian. We know that we're a sinner. We know that we do wrong things all the time, but God mercifully stamped Christ's holiness onto us. It was a free gift. We did not earn it, could not have earned it. Just as much as Jesus did not earn our guilt when we gave our guilt to him, he took it and he went to the cross with it. He did this, ready? He's saying it right now. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the what? Wherever you are at home, say that word. Sacrifice. For what? Oh. See, we don't even know what sacrifice to Yahweh would look like if we hadn't first rebelled against him. We sinned against God. We broke this relationship and now God is saying, you've got to slaughter an animal that's innocent to see the damage that you have done and to point forward to Jesus, where he's going to be innocent, hanging on a cross for your sins and for mine. I need you to understand this because I'm going to send my son to a cross. He's going to willingly go because he's going to purchase you back from the condemnation you brought on yourself. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's how we're made right with God. By faith. In what? That Jesus sacrificed. What? His life. Shedding his blood. Our leader sacrificed. Who told us we're not going to have to sacrifice? There's an answer to that, but it sounds rhetorical. Listen to this. Also, Paul, nine chapters later. Talking to the church. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. So Christ's cross has implications now on the church, right? Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy, say that word at home, say that word, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You do not have to sacrifice at work. You do not have to make sacrifices to the God of Starbucks. You do not have to make sacrifices to the God of porn. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You're not going to learn what God's will for you is unless you start obeying the small things you already know. You and I think we're going to go into deeper Christian maturity by reading lots of big books and filling our noggins with all these big words. And God has said, why don't you obey the one or two Bible verses you do know? If you're a Christian, his Holy Spirit is giving you the power to do that. You have the power to obey. Work on obedience. You and I want to talk about everything except obedience. You know that, right? 
every little detail except actually pulling the trigger and doing something that matters. So let's talk about the Apostle Paul, the guy who just wrote those two passages. He told us Jesus' sacrifice. He told us how human beings who call themselves Christians, we are called to be a living sacrifice. Now's the passage I told you to turn to if you want. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 23. He's talking about his own past of his uh, things he has been through for the name of Jesus. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sat like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. He can't count. He cannot count the number of times that the Roman government has whipped his back And faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. If you're a 20-year-old college student, that doesn't mean what you think it means. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities and in the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone, often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without even enough toilet paper to fill my basket at Costco. Then, besides all this... I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling that weakness? Who's led astray and I do not burn with anger? For if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, Aretas kept guards at the city gate to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. So the man who just told you, this is the sacrifice Jesus made, this is the sacrifice all Christians have to make your whole life, you are a living sacrifice. This guy, Paul, practices what he preaches. Be scared. Be very scared when religious leaders tell you to give money, but their own personal family books are closed and you have no idea. You know, I, I get creeped out. When people call themselves pastors and the car they drive gets nicer and nicer and nicer and bigger and bigger house and they live in a mansion and they fly a Learjet and all this stuff. Wait a minute. A lot of those churches, their books are not open to the public. Gives me the eebie-jeebies. And I don't see where they got that in the Bible. Paul, who told you of Christ's sacrifice, told you that every Christian must be living a life of sacrifice while he was living. He, he says this later in Philippians 1. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live for Jesus, it's all for his glory. And if I die, that's even better for me because I'm finally with him, not suffering anymore. Paul views the Christian life as a win-win. But it's not comfort versus death. It's suffering versus finding my comfort in my death. What you're looking at is an artist's rendition 
of Paul's death. It occurred probably two years after the last of some of his letters in Rome. He was beheaded, according to church history. And I don't mean to make light of things that are going on in American politics, but can, can we just stare at this picture for a second? This is not having your bakery boycotted. This is actually having your head physically removed from your body. These are not the same. They're in a similar spirit. It's the same spirit of rebellion against God. But they're not the same. So let's transition now into church history. Because again, I only have one point today. Sacrificing for the sake of Jesus is normal Christian behavior. And now I'm going to prove it. We're moving now into past what the scripture tells us, but we find in church history. This is the Apostle John. He was in a, maybe a sick, a morbid kind of a way, as the distinction of being the only of the 12 apostles that was not martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not for a lack of effort. This is a Renaissance artist rendering, 1,500 years later, 1,400 years later, of him being lowered into a big pot of boiling oil. They tried to kill him, but he did not die. And when he did not die, the people who had lowered him in freaked out and believed that his God was angry at them and believed there was going to be a curse on them. So they removed him from the oil and fled. It was after this, after, as an older man, where John exiled to the island of Patmos because they were freaked out to kill him. They exiled him out to an island saying, don't preach. Well, he still wrote letters. He didn't, did not obey. I think if you can be boiled alive for Christ, you're not going to obey any more threats. Can we agree to that? He's writing letters from Patmos. It was a scalded hand that wrote the book of Revelation. They will hunger no more, neither shall they thirst anymore, for God will wipe away every tear from their eye. This is normal Christian behavior. One of John's disciples, early church father, named Polycarp, February 23rd, in the year 155, this is what happened. Bruce Shelley's Church History in Plain Language. Cannot recommend it highly enough. In the popular mind, the early church was above all else a noble army of martyrs. In many ways it was. None was more noble than Polycarp, the aged bishop of Smyrna in West Asia Minor. So think Turkey, geographically speaking. The authorities brought the highly respected pastor into the crowded arena, prepared to shove him to the lions, but only reluctantly. They much preferred a denial of the charge against him. He was a Christian. Simply swear by Caesar, the governor pled. I am a Christian, said Polycarp. If you want to know what that is, set a day and listen. Persuade the people, asked the governor. Polycarp said, I would explain to you, but not to them. 
Then I'll throw you to the beasts. Bring on your beasts, said Polycarp. If you scorn the beasts, I'll have you burned. You try to frighten me with the fire that burns for an hour. And you forget the fire of hell that never goes out. The governor called to the people. Polycarp says he is a Christian. Then the mob let loose. This is the teacher of Asia, they shouted. The father of the Christians. The destroyer of our gods. So Polycarp, praying that his death would be an acceptable sacrifice, was burned at the stake. Why? Because sacrifice is normal Christian behavior. St. Patrick. You guys know from the news, St. Patrick's Day basically got canceled across the world this year. Some of you may know the basics of his story, why he had such an influence. Um, his years of ministry and thousands, tens of thousands of Irish people believing the gospel of Jesus Christ when they heard it off of his lips and all these churches planted throughout Ireland, it all started with something truly unbelievable. It started with St. Patrick coming to Christ and deciding to go preach amongst the people that he should have hated the most. Because you see, when he was young, he was enslaved and taken away to Ireland. When he thought of Ireland, all he would have thought of was pain. All he would have thought of was suffering and captivity. But you want to know if somebody's really had a transformed heart by Jesus Christ? Jesus said, love your enemies. The transformed heart finds a way to do it. So St. Patrick served for 48 plus years amongst the people he had every right to hate. And instead, he loved them. Why would he give his life to a people that he might hate? He would give his life. Why? Because sacrifice is normal Christian behavior. A living sacrifice is what Paul said. You may give your death, but you may give your life, or, or both. John Hughes. John Hughes, almost a thousand years after that, had the audacity to be one of a handful of reformers that said, I'm not so sure about transubstantiation. That's just a big doctrinal word. The Catholic Church at the time, I, I don't know, I think they might still believe it now, believed that as you took the bread and the wine, that as they went down your throat, they actually became the physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that accordingly, Jesus was still being sacrificed over and over again at every single mass across the Christian world. John Hughes said, no, that's works-based theology where the leaders can deny me of taking these elements and now I literally have no access to Christ. This is all heresy. And, and, but the problem is when you think something's heresy because you've been reading the Bible, but all the religious elites call it normal and good doctrine, you get burned at the stake. John Hughes had the audacity to say that I believe the bread and the cup are a symbol of Christ's death, not a continuing punishment of Christ, that he is still in heaven somehow being tortured like his cross never ends. And because he believed it so strongly, he would not recant what he said, and they burned him alive. Why? Because even your doctrine, the things that you and I believe, if we call ourselves Christians, the way that we submit to the scriptures and not to what everybody else is saying, 
That's worth sacrificing for. This is one of the ways that we sacrifice for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I know this is crazy, but I need you to know, just because church history is filled with it, if the pastors of this church say one thing and the Bible says another, you should not even hesitate. You do not hesitate. None of your pastors was sent to you by God, necessarily. I hope that we were. I hope he has his sovereign hand in commanding us to be a blessing to you. But we're sinners. We screw up a thousand times a day. We rebel against God in our old self. And heaven help us, in certain tribes of Christianity for 2,000 years, people have made it into pastoral ministry that did not even know God. When the church leaders have no fear of God whatsoever. I mean, gosh. There was a council, I forget which, right now which denomination it was, less than 10 years ago. There was a council that made it all over the news talking about they're about to split over a certain doctrinal issue. And a reporter stuck a microphone in one of the pastor's faces and said, hey, so, you know, a lot of conservative Christians see the Bible saying that marriage is this, and now you're saying that marriage is that. What say you? Sticks the mic in his face, and he just goes, oh, well, we never said that the Bible was the authority over our church. The Holy Spirit's our authority. That's real convenient. So you can just tell us what the Holy Spirit said. That means that pastor didn't believe the Holy Spirit wrote a book. So people like John Hughes, he's not the only one, in allowing the Bible to be authoritative over the religious leaders, was burned. 1665, the plague ravages London. Every normal, logical person ran for their life because nobody knew how it was transmitting except for Puritan pastors. Puritan pastors across England, even ones that were outside of London, endangered and in some cases gave their life, they came to London. They thought it absolutely unthinkable that people would lay in their bed, suffering horribly alone, waiting to die alone. It was unthinkable to them. The doctors ran for their lives, friends and family read for their, fled for their lives, and the pastors rushed in, many of whom got the plague and then turned around and died themselves. Why? Sacrifice is a normal Christian behavior. That's why. This isn't extraordinary. This is normal. What about William Wilberforce? Wealthy, powerful elected to the parliament of Britain in the early 19th century. And he can sit there every few years getting reelected by a group of people that liked him, enjoy all the privileges, enjoy all the wealth, all the comforts. No. He opens his big mouth because he is a Christian. He opens his big mouth in parliament and rages against the transatlantic slave trade. And he labored and labored and labored for about 30 years until finally... Britain outlawed slavery and the trade of slaves. Nobody cut off Wilberforce's head. He was never flogged. He had the grace, he had the blessing of living in a country that, where he was afforded freedom of speech. Everybody could call him a fool. Everybody could say he's an idiot. Everybody can call him a religious fanatic. 
Actually, what mostly happened, because his speeches were so soaked with Scripture, mostly what people did is not disagree with him, they made excuses. Because they called themselves Christians and called themselves a Christian country, but kept making excuses how the economy would fall apart if we didn't have slaves. Wilberforce could have chosen something far more comfortable, and he did not. Why? Because sacrificing for Jesus is normal Christian behavior. Amy Carmichael, a bit of a Mother Teresa before there was a Mother Teresa, leaves a middle-class, comfortable uh, existence in Ireland, goes to India, starts an orphanage, and does what? Oh, that's so cute. Amy, you're going to do on a mission trip. That's great. You're going to work in an orphanage. That's cool. When are you coming back? Two, three weeks? She served for 55 years and then died. To this day. She's buried in India today. She's not buried back in Ireland, her hometown. There's a Presbyterian church in Ireland that has a statue of her and her name because that's the church that she grew up in. She wasn't coming back. In fact, it was very common. 19th century missionaries oftentimes purchased, measured and purchased a coffin for themselves and used it as luggage. They put their items in it because it was going to be stored on a boat and they take this big steamship over to India or China, wherever they were going. And it was a statement to themselves, to their family. They wept. They said their goodbyes. They said, I'm not coming back. We'll see each other in glory. I'm not coming back. There's no point. Usually, I think these missionaries would have told you, I'm leaving a country where there's a church on every corner to go to a place where there are no Christians at all that we know of. Why on earth would I come back? Huh? As an aside, if you call yourself a Christian, let me tell you something about sending people out to share the gospel, you only have three options. You go, you send, or you disobey. That's it. Sending is either prayer or finances or both. Encouragement, training, equipping. You go, you send, or you disobey. That's it. Whether you're sending to people who don't know Jesus Christ a few counties away from you or a few countries away, a couple continents away. Amy Carmichael gave her whole life to the kids out of this orphanage because sacrifice is normal Christian behavior. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian pastor in Germany when Hitler came to power by an election. Some of us think that tyrants just grab the sword He won a popular election. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, call it right, call it wrong, call it awesome, that's what I call it, was a Christian pastor sitting in a jail during World War II planning the bombing assassination of Hitler. If you think you and I are suffering, mm. if you think pastors are always nice and cute and smiley and let's hug, let's hug it out, However much you think, you know, depending on your politics, you hate our president now or you hated the last president or whatever. Imagine being a spiritual leader in Germany 
And because of what you preach, you're imprisoned in your own country, in your own leader. He is killing so many millions of people that this network of pastors, he becomes a spy and he is now working actively to get a bomb into the room where Hitler is going to be to kill him. That'll make you check your own theology, won't it? Because there's a commandment against, <laughs> against killing. And yet something wrenches a man's heart, or wrenches a woman's heart when you see that much death coming out of one person's decisions. And as the world was collapsing from the Nazi perspective, he and a bunch of other prisoners were unceremoniously killed before the Soviets and the Americans could rush in. Let's talk about Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth, for sure, thought that sacrificing was normal Christian behavior because, you see, she was in her early 20s when her husband and three other men went on a mission trip and never came back. Do you know how many people at age 22, 23, would just decide, God's not good. I've now paid a price higher than I ever wanted to pay. I'm out. I'm done. No thank you. Instead, she and the other wives, who were all now widows, go to the exact same people group that had murdered their husbands. And they sit there and tell them of the love of Jesus Christ for decade after decade after decade. She was not shocked. She was not surprised. And she did not quit when following Jesus cost her something. She continued right on. Why? Because this is all normal. Christian, this is normal. Less than two weeks ago, two months ago, our brother Pastor Lawan Andimi gave his life for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in Nigeria. Boko Haram wasn't having it, having it, and after this video, they beheaded him. Do you think he's sitting in heaven right now with a lot of regrets? How on earth would you have regrets if you're standing in the presence for eternity of the one who died for you? Now let's be really clear about who sinned and who didn't. If Jesus dies for me and I die for him, we're not even. We're still not even. There's no way I could give my whole life and pay him back. That's critical to understand or we're never going to understand grace. Jesus gave to us more than we could ever possibly give back. Brother Francis Chan, just a few weeks ago, picked up and moved to a part of the world where he believed God wanted him and his wife, ultimately his kids and their families decided to follow, where there were village after village after village, there just no gospel presence whatsoever. And he kind of said what Amy Carmichael said, why do I need to serve here anymore? There are churches everywhere. And in our day, I mean, we're even watching this online right now. In our day, really, let's just talk about the two worlds. The world that's connected to the internet and the world that's not. If you have the internet, you have the possibility of hearing who Jesus is. It's at least possible. And the world that does not have the internet, there are pockets all over our world 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people groups that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Francis, just a few weeks ago, picked up and left. He doesn't know if he's ever coming back, he and his wife, to the United States. Why? Sacrifice is normal. This is normal Christian behavior. ARCF, a Christian at home who's not a part of this church family who happens to be watching today, it's your turn now. 2020, are you alive? Are you sucking wind? Are you breathing? It's your turn. That's what breathing means. If you are a Christian and you're breathing, that means it's your turn. It's my turn. To do what? To honor Christ through living and through dying. How on earth could we ever call Christ a deity and not give him anything? That makes no sense. And I know if you've been with us the last few weeks, you're really confused right now. I thought this was a series about money. No, it's not. It's about the heart beneath money. And you will not reach in your wallet and give because you just don't think he's really a deity. You like the idea of Jesus Christ being your savior, of getting a get-out-of-hell-free card. You don't want him to be the center of your existence. And I'm not even angry at you. I just need you to hear what God is saying to you today. You don't want a God. You want a buddy. You want a homeboy. Deities make demands, and there is no more loving a deity than Jesus Christ who says, I want you to give me that thing that's rotting your heart from the inside out, and I want you to give me that thing that's rotting your heart from the inside out. And I want to, He only makes demands of you and of me of things that are already killing us. And I promise you he's the only deity in all world religion that you can say that about. He is not your buddy. He is not an, just an object of philosophy. He was not just a wise teacher. He was God, and he said so over and over again. When a cool guy gets killed because he was caught up in some political turbulence, that's sad. But when God lays down his life, he says, I lay my life down of my own accord, and I'll take it back up again. That's deity. That's sovereignty. I'm allowing Rome to crucify me. And then watch what Rome does when they've got 24 guards at my tomb trying to keep me in. That's silly. Who keeps a dead guy dead? They weren't able to do it. Rolls away the, the angels roll away the stone. He's like, I, I'm, I'm alive now. What are you going to do about it? That's sovereignty. He is the Lord over life. He is the Lord over death. And some of you, brothers and sisters, I'm begging you, please stop thinking that you're a Christian when you have zero desire to give him anything at all. It's like saying she's my wife, but I don't do anything for her. Huh? That makes no sense. This is my child, but I make no sacrifices to love and serve my child. That doesn't make sense. Comfort, sitting on our couches, cozy, entertaining ourselves endlessly, that is the abnormal Christian life. That is the perverse Christian life. I give nothing of my money. I give nothing of my time. I give nothing of my energy. I don't pray. That is an abnormal, perverse Christian life. And it'll be filled with regrets. So I'm begging you to leave that and leave it today. Abandon it today. Walk away. If you're not sure yet what you think of Jesus, here's what I need you to understand. There is no amount of sacrifice on your part that can reconcile you to your creator 
Do you know that? There's no amount of money you can give. You can go on a mission trip and join a ministry team and give to the poor. None of that is going to make up for the cataclysmic divorce between you and God when you sinned against him, when I sinned against him. That is why we read Romans 3, to let you know only Jesus Christ's death on the cross is powerful enough to forgive what you have done and to forgive what I have done. This is why we're going to keep talking about the cross every Sunday until the Lord takes me home. Cross first, cross last, cross only. If you're already a Christian, Jesus is Lord. He's not only your Savior. In fact, you're playing games if you've split those two from each other. Do you know that? He is called a king in the scripture. He's called himself a king. His family is called a kingdom. Kings are in charge. Kings have authority. Kings have lordship. They have sovereignty. And we think we can show up, not apply for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, and just soak up all the benefits. Huh? Why? Because we think people should sacrifice to us. I essentially think that I am God. I'm going to pray and ask God to save us from ourselves and to help our hearts see the beauty of Christ, the beauty of his cross, the power of his resurrection that has called us to an entirely new life. If you find yourself believing who Jesus is for the first time today, congratulations, the Holy Spirit just gave you a new heart and you're a Christian. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we have no hope besides you. We have none. Our, our capacity, God, for self-deception is amazing. God, some of us listening to the sound of my voice right now have perhaps spent years or even decades pursuing comfort and pleasure thinking I'm somehow participating in the kingdom of God. That is simply not what your scriptures tell us. So I ask for the precious gift of repentance for those of us who are in Christ. Your scriptures say to us, there is thou, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not angry at us, God. You're calling us towards something better. You're calling us toward life and toward action that matters. Action that would bless Citrus Heights and Roseville and Fair Oaks and Sacramento. So God, please allow us to be healthfully rebuked by the truth, but not crushed by it. Those of us who are Christians, God, get us up off our couches even during a time of quarantine that our spirit-filled imaginations would find a way to proclaim the goodness of who you are and to live a life where you are Lord over us not just a lifeguard that threw us something that floats Jesus for those of us that do not yet believe you when you tell us who you are I ask that you give the gift of faith right now today that that heart and everybody around them would give praise and honor and glory to you. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said. I love you, ARCF. I love you, guests. Have a great week. Again, email me if you'd like more pastoral connection during the week. Bye.